you are in the studio with the Edutech project, and this is a special edition of the episode which will be addressing GDPR. GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation, which will be coming into enforcement on the 25th of May 2018. To talk about this, we have Tony Shepard. Tony is Operations Manager at GDPR in Schools, a tool which helps schools develop clarity and accountability regarding their use of personal data through a cloud-based system that keeps track of all data and helps schools to be compliant by the deadline on the 25th of May. Tony is an award-winning educational technologist with breadth and depth of experience. His roles have included director of IT as well as being an assistant head at a large school. He has run EdTech services for over 140 schools, been a project manager for a global VLA provider, and is a large advocate of the online EdTech community edugeek.net. Tony's been working closely with the Department of Education in getting resources ready for the May deadline. It's fantastic to have with us on this episode of In the Studio with the Edutech Project. We've got Tony Shepard. Tony, thanks for joining us. Can you, first of all, just give us a bit of a background about what you did in education and why technology has been so important for you? Um, well, after doing a few years in the forces, um, I started off as an IT tech in, in schools, um, strange to believe. Um, and, and I'm one of these rarities of working my way through to being a, uh, a non-teaching assistant head uh, in a large secondary um, technology college up in Northamptonshire. And, and it's just one of those things of where it was it was obvious that technology was such an enabler. All the schools that I've worked in have always had a focus on technology as an enabler rather than, you know, just being um, there for the shiny or for being a, uh, as, as the core subject. It's always been how technology works across the curriculum. Um, and, and that makes a difference. I actually see it not being used as a silo. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and I was just lucky because of that and because of working with some fantastic teachers um, and some fantastic SLT, um, I started to do some other bits and pieces of project work with um, some stuff with BISA on service man, uh, sorry, Becta, sorry, with on service management um, and data protection and IT frameworks and other bits and pieces. Ended up um, going over to the local authority for a couple of years. Uh, and, and then from there, it was out as a project manager with uh, uh, a large VLE, helping them run a national project over in Wales. So, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where all the way through, technology has been an enabler rather than a, a thing in and of itself. That's cool. That sounds that sounds great. And it kind of ties in. It's a different element, really, to, uh, to where we've gone. And we've obviously talked about how... Um, technology in in education actually pedagogically in a classroom and i think there's some other things that are going on behind the scenes and that's um that's one of the questions that um that's one of the questions that that, that comes up all the time my, my my question really and just just before we get into the depth of because i know you're going to talk to us about gdpr and what that is um why have you, you your your twitter handle is grumble duke or grumble duck what what was what does that what's that mean Where, where's that from uh, that's actually from my army days. Um, so Grumble Duke was a character from um, a, a phrase used in Blackadder, the original series. Uh, the Witchfinder, uh, Persevant, um, 
called uh, uh, Prince Edmund um, the Great Grumble Duke. And it just so happens that he, he mentioned about a cat bubbles or Bielsi bubbles. And whilst in the army, um, we used to have to look after um, animals that were being left behind or being moved on to other families. Um, and there was a, a cat that happened to be called Bubbles. And so when I introduced Bubbles to a, a visiting Sergeant Major, he turned around and said, oh, you mean Bielsi bubbles? You must be the Great Grumble Duke. <laughs> and it was one of those things that were... After I left the army, the first computer I had, and, and when I logged onto the internet and went onto internet relay chat, you know the the, the proper stuff, none of this Twitter things, you know, um, and um, it just so happens that it picked the name of my computer as my handle, and so I got involved in you know Terry Pratchett fandom um, using the alter ego of Grumbledoo, and it stuck. It, it's just one of those things that an, an offhand thing of name again computer based on a, a, a bit of a joke from you know a previous job and it's stuck so uh, yeah nearly 20 years later i'm still known as <laughs> brilliant so you can okay. fo- you can follow tony at grumble duke on twitter tony let's jump straight into the reason why you join us on the podcast on the 25th of may um the gdpr legislation uh, will be in effect in the uk and i think all around europe as well You've been really heavily involved in making this, uh, make helping this transition really with the Department for Education in the UK. Could you maybe tell us a bit about what GDPR is and and what your role has been in with this in the UK? Um, so, the Data Protection Act, as we know it. 20 years old it needs a bit of a shake-up um and that's been reflected across the whole of europe and that's why we've got this new regulation it's important to remember that this is a regulation which means that it's effectively mandatory uh, apart from a few get out of jail and derogations the called uh, things like the age of consent and other bits and pieces um Whereas the previous um, thing that we based all of our data protection stuff on was a directive, which meant that we could opt in and out of various bits and pieces. And we didn't do too well um, as a country on getting everything in there. We got some really important things, but not everything. So the, the fact that it's a regulation that's come in across the whole of Europe helps standardise things no end. It really, really does. Um, I, I jokingly say that, although it's general in, in GDPR, actually it's global because it is a game change across the whole of the world um, and it is really shaking up how people think all we've got to do is have a look at how facebook have decided actually for anybody who's not in europe we don't want to be constrained too much for all of their privacy bits and pieces so we're going to move that outside of ireland whereas anyone who's in europe will look after you within ireland and you know the fact that that's a sizable change for them shows how much of an impact it's having across the whole of the world um within the uk um you know the, the last set of major advice that came out for schools was um vector advice you know then that was eight nine years ago um it was good working on that in in those days um but with the bonfire of the quangos that went onto the national web archive not very many people knew about it the ico drip fed bits and pieces and good practice out in schools reports and other things but it was never really high profile and it was never really um it got that push on the compulsory nature of what we need to do around data protection um not in the same way that safeguarding does or health and safety does things like that um so you know, it, to some extent it's been a kickstarter uh, not just for schools it's actually for all the public sector all the businesses it's been that real kickstarter um 
And the thing that we have to remember is, at the bottom line, it's around protecting the rights and the freedoms of individuals. Yeah, That's what it comes down to. It's not about compliance. It's about doing right by your pupils, by your parents, and by your staff. That's what schools have to remember is the baseline of all this. And as we move up to, to that date of the 25th of May... Are you seeing, from your position, are you seeing are there a lot of organisations that are, are are they starting to panic or are, have things been in place for quite a while to adapt to this? Um, it's a bit of a mixture, I'll right. be honest. It, it, it's one of those things where, again, because everybody is so linked in with using other services nowadays, there, there are folk like ourselves. I mean, we, we have to waste on you know, uh, folk that we use for service desks and other bits and pieces to show how they're compliant so that we can pass that in and pass that down to our customers. Um, and it's the same with schools. I mean, schools have got a lot of work to do. Those schools who had quite a grip on data protection to start with and they understood, you know, the links in there with safeguarding and everything, um, they haven't had as much work to do. And, and it's been, you know, as the ICO say, the Information Commissions Office say, it's evolution rather than revolution. But there are some schools out there, as there are some companies who are quite behind the times, um, and they've got quite a journey to go on. So as part of that, the, the, the DFE has been asked time and time again, please prepare something for us. And to be honest, most government departments aren't. Actually, a lot of the government departments are a bit hamstrung with some of this because the, the data protection bill, which is going to be the... Uh, the application of GDPR within the UK, including the Law Enforcement Directive and a few other little bits and pieces, um, that's still going through Parliament. So to some extent, we're asking government departments to write advice and guidance on something that isn't really affected in UK law as in a discrete thing, um, even though GDPR is out there and it will be applied from, um, well, it will be enforced from the 25th of May. Uh, it, it's the case of, well, actually, the, the UK version of the bill, um, there's still some amendments that are being put in there. There's still various things going on with it. So it's hard to turn around and say, oh, we want strict advice and guidance. So as as a result, the DF went, well, actually, yes, we do need to do this. We're already in discussions with a range of stakeholders. Let's get them together and see what we can do. And that's where the toolkit comes from. It's a, it is a, a beta document um you know dfe are quite open about that and so is everybody else who who sat on the uh, the working group um because it needs consultation it, it needs to have more feedback it needs to have folks say well in the real world how do we make it work and, and there's whilst there's some really good examples and case studies and resources in there it needs some more fine-tuning it needs some more input and you know that's why if if nothing else if anyone's uh, anyone who's listening to the podcast has the time to, please have a look at it, read it, and thinking about your school, give some open feedback. So how do how do schools how do schools get access to that? Uh, well, if they go onto the uh, GDPR.school website, uh, we've got links to it. Um, or if they just go and search on um, the uh, education. Uh, department website and just search for GDPR, they will find it. Um, they are tweeting about it through their own Twitter account. Um, majority of the um, governor groups are also mentioning it as well because the thing we have to remember, a lot of this is about governance, is about accountability. Um, in fact, accountability is one of the core principles that runs through everything. 
that schools haven't really had to think about before. They've never really had to justify why they are making decisions about certain things. Um, so, you know, it's a case of governors are one of those key groups. They are getting a fair bit of information out there from National Governors Association, the key and, and folk like that. And, and if there's anyone out there who's who has this role in a school, uh, in a and the twenty fifth of May is, is is literally a few weeks away. Is are the are schools going to be expected from that day to have everything um, in line? And and if they don't, who who's going to hold them accountable? Is this going to be something that will be within Ofsted's remit? Um, Ofsted are um, quiet on this at the moment uh, because you know, when. Ofsted do any change about what they're going to have a look at that always goes through a number of iterations has to go into the handbook and all the other things um, in the past Ofsted have, have said actually data protection isn't something that we're experts in it comes down to the supervisory authority so that's in the UK that's the information commissioner's office the ICO so ico.org.uk right. um, and they've got a wealth of resources information for schools as well um, but they're the ones that when there's a problem, they're the ones that you go and speak to or they're the ones that come in and have a chat with you. Um, but they are extremely pragmatic and, and they've said that in pretty much all of the sessions that they've run, not just for schools, actually across the board. And they want to see people working on it and actually ha know what the journey is going to be and be on the start of that journey. They don't want to see people with their heads in the sands. They don't want to see people um, doing absolutely nothing or thinking they don't have to do anything. Um, and that side of things is very, very important. So if, if something is going wrong or something does happen and the school is on that journey and they are doing the best that they can, that's taken into account. Um, the other thing we have to remember is that no school's ever been fined so far. Um, they've had a range of other sanctions so they've had to sign undertakings which is a uh, an agreement with the ico to say that they will do things and that's quite a public agreement um the reputational damage that that can cause for some schools is is, is a bit of a problem um, and that's one of the things that most schools have to think about more rather than the financial penalties yeah that's cool and i think um for a lot of our listeners, the reality is is that this isn't necessarily something that they've thought about before, and the advice and the toolkit will be really useful for that. My my question to to you, Tony, is the asking a question about as a teacher. Maybe a lot of the people that are listening to this will be teachers or school leaders. Um, what the, the teachers on the ground and school leaders that are that are making this happen? What what piece of advice would you give them? What should they be doing, really? Well. As I said before, to some extent, it's actually what they are doing at the moment or should have been doing in, in some cases. Um, and most of it is common sense. Most of it is things like locking your computer when you're walking away from it. Um, and I know it's a pain in the backside when you're in the middle of teaching a lesson and you've got a presentation on the screen um, and you know you don't want it to time out and things like that. But if you're going outside of the room for whatever reason, then... Yeah, lock your computer. You wouldn't give kids free access to Sims or to whatever your MIS is, so you need to take some precautions and some responsibility around that. Um, most of the other things are around, well, yes, there are lots of wonderful apps out there and lots of wonderful tools and other bits and pieces, and you know the message needs to get out of, don't just sign up for things. You need to have a look at the terms and conditions. You need to have a look at 
what data is being used, where is it being used, how is it being used, who's it being shared with, um, and and to some extent, in the same way that the first time you go on uh, a new place as part of a school trip, you do a bit of a risk assessment around this. Um, you know, it, it, we're we used to that. We're used to when we're using new websites and other bits and pieces um, for our our, you know, our students and pupils. You go and have a look first, and you actually make sure that it's actually safe to use. You wouldn't just go and tell you know a class to go onto an online form somewhere and start having a chat with anyone that's on there. So we use a bit of common sense, uh, and that's probably one of the key things that we've got to remember. It's a bit of common sense. I'm just thinking at the moment there's there's there's, like, there's an explosion in um in teaching apps uh, from from all over the world, but probably most of all from the United States of America in terms of apps that can be used in the class for students and for a teacher. I'm just thinking if there's a teacher who who gets recommended an app, it comes from America, um, and they want to use it within the in the in the classroom. How safe is that going to be now? Are they going to have to troll through lots of terms and conditions before they implement it in their classroom? Can they can they be rest assured that the the legislation in America for making the app is is trustworthy? How would that work? Well, the important thing to remember with GDPR is um, it applies. It doesn't matter where you are as a company. If it's an EU, um, if it's an EU uh, data subject, someone who's resident within the EU, actually GDPR applies. So if you're an American company and your stuff is being used in the EU, right, the law okay. applies to you. And right. you need to have a representative sat somewhere within the EU. Um, so it, it's not a case of you can't trust things that aren't in the EU. Actually, you can do, and there's there's lots of ways you can do that. Within the US, uh, there's an arrangement between the EU and the US called Privacy Shield, so the replacement for Safe Harbor. And that's a very important thing to have a look at when you're um, reviewing any apps or programs or, or sites that you're using that are, aren't hosted in the EU or the UK. Um, there are other countries which have Again, similar arrangements like Canada and Australia um, within the EU and the, and the UK in particular. So th- there are things there. One of the aspects about GDPR is um, the privacy notice. So the privacy notice is a, a key document. That helps you understand what is being used, what data is being used, how it's being shared, where it's being stored. And the first thing you would do is if you haven't got a look at anything, go and have a look at that. It has to be written in clear, plain language. Not legalese, no long terms and conditions of other bits and pieces. They'll still exist, but the privacy notice has to be clear and plain so that you can understand what's being used. And if you, if you, there isn't a privacy notice or if it isn't clear and plain, that's the point where you've got to go, well, actually, why isn't it? Is it that they're not going to follow GDPR? In which case... Well, actually, do we really want to use them? And it's the same way as when you're going on. I get, I come back to that school visit again. Would you go along to a farm which doesn't allow you to do a health and safety check first? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, 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 it's that common sense thing. Um, schools have got a wealth of experience with risk assessments and risk managements from health and safety, from safeguarding, and it's the exact same principles. It's a case of go in, have a check. Do you really understand what's going on, and how do you know that it's safe? 
That's great. And I think I think ultimately that's some great advice anyway about about whether you were trying to be GDPR compliant or not. It's about about making sure that you haven't just gone into something. I suppose it's it's a little bit like being careful of scams and whatever, but this one yep. is, is is has a lot more thing. Just to kind of wrap this up and and, and I know that you um you you're, you want us to lead you towards a GDPR in schools website so that people can go and have a look at that. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. You're also involved in uh, edugeek.net. What's what's that, and then and uh, how are you involved with that? Edugeek.net. Um, so <laughs> about 12, 13 years ago, uh, one of the um, senior techies at a uh, uh, council up north um, wanted to have a bit more of an interactive community with the other. Um, techies and network managers in the area so we put together a uh, a small forum um, and haven't been a user of um, Usenet and forums and, and other things like that um, I, I jumped on it fairly quickly and it, it's grown and grown and grown in the early days I was one of the um, original admins so between five of us we actually got it up and running and going when I left the school and moved over to the local authority bit of a conflict of interest uh, i was um poacher turned gamekeeper so um i officially i retired from doing all of the admin bits so i i used to run the the stand that we did down at bet and, and conferences and events for them um but as an online community for um it technicians network managers anyone working in um technology in education it's a fantastic resource um it's grown over the years it's now used by um, fintech, health um, other parts of the um, public sector as well a lot of commercial organisations have got members on there so I think it's up to around about 90,000 members or something like that with about um, five or 6,000 active users each month so that's actually quite a, a sizable chunk and, and Chris and Sean the owners have done a sterling job keeping that up and running for us, it's it's a it's such a valuable resource because we've been able to go in and have conversations with people at the chalk face, facing the reality of how do we do certain things around data protection and information handling. So we we sponsor um, a site on there um, jointly with Group Call, um, one of our uh, partners, and and that just gives us a wonderful opportunity to chat to people and actually look at some of the problems they're facing, help give some advice, um, you know. And it's like any other community, whether you do it through Twitter, whether you do it through a forum, there's a brilliant bunch of people out there that are always willing to, to give lots of advice, guidance, and if nothing else, just go, don't worry, here you are, let's open up the hobnobs, we're in the same situation, and that's so reassuring yeah. at times, it really, really is. Thank you, Tony, for, uh, for coming on the podcast today and uh, talking about something that lots of the teachers probably aren't... Um, aren't worried about but probably should be should be thinking about and uh yeah. it's, it's really important that as schools we are making sure that we're not just compliant but we're thinking about the rights and now we use um the data that we've got on yeah. on people so so thank you for, for coming and clarifying that I, with I, us I, and giving I, us I, great ideas. I, I was just going to say on the right side of things so where we mentioned about you know it's about the rights of our, our pupils um to some extent that's where people like um henry over at EQ, that's really comes in because whenever you're thinking about what you need to do that you involve the students in some of those conversations. You don't just make that choice or, or, or some of those decisions on your own. You actually have conversations about it with with, you, with your, your pupils and students. And, and that's where, you know, digital leaders uh, and e-cadets and things like that really, really do um, show up the, the, the good work and the good information that 
you can gain from working with your pupils around safeguarding and data protection information management perfect well thank you thank you again and um if you want to go and have a look at that people please do go to gdpr.school to have a look at a look at the uh, the toolkit or check it out on the dfe and for you uh you geeks out there who might want some support on the uh, on the it management stuff go to uh, edugeek.net thanks tony thanks, thanks tony. very much <laughs>